Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of The Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with You Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. And uh, as I've mentioned many times, uh, I'm a psychiatrist and I keep trying to figure out how mind and brain and environment works together. Uh, and one of the challenges that uh, coincidences create for human beings is uh, the relationship between a thought in my mind and a thought in my in the environment. And coincidences often involve thinking about something or having an image or even a feeling and then finding out that that's reflected or paralleled or resonating with something in the environment. So that makes it so that your mind and your environment are much more closely connected with each other than we are generally taught to believe. We are not islands unto ourselves. We are connected as well as separate. I've got a book coming out uh, September 6th called uh, Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. Uh, you can order the book uh, on a link below for those of you on YouTube, uh, and it's it'll get to you pretty soon because it's September 6th is coming up, and I'm going to be on a lot of podcasts talking about it. My story for today, the friend of a good friend of mine has spastic cerebral palsy. I wondered if a good chiropractor could loosen him up, but that seemed unlikely. A few days ago, I was walking along the Ravana River here in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I saw five guys sitting on the rocks. Four of them were listening to the fifth talk. So I said to them that they reminded me of a Grateful Dead song. Uh, what song, they asked. So <clears throat> I sang the first line of Uncle John's band. Come here, Uncle John's band, by the riverside. Well, they laughed and invited me to join them. The speaker turned out to be a body worker who was looking for somebody with severe spastic cerebral palsy to work on. He had had some success with people who have mild spastic cerebral palsy. My good friend was delighted to hear of this possibility that she could bring to her friend. Sometimes what you are looking for is also looking for you. Our guest today is Anne Archer Butcher, who has lived an extraordinary life. She's a best-selling author, international speaker, editor, producer, devoted wife and mother, but mostly she is a spiritual adventurer. She was rescued by dolphins from a shark attack, survived a near-death experience, and had an out-of-body journey that taught her about the true nature of life and death. However, her mind-boggling experiences in 1984 are beyond all that, which she describes in more detail in fiveblueRings.com. 
She has a master's degree in literature and taught high school for 10 years. She studied comparative world religions to explain some of the remarkable things she was experiencing. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence, Anne Archer. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm so glad that I met you uh, through the Spiritual Awakenings International Group uh, when we discussed the connection between the Coincidence Project and SAI. And um, I heard some pretty good stories in those conversations with you and others. And I wonder if you would tell us uh, one of them. Well, you introduced the dolphin story, so let's start there. I mean, that is one of my favorites. It's a it's an all-time high for me because it really relates to one of the things you just talked about. I was asking God, let's say, I was demanding of the universe, is there an interconnectedness to all life? Because it seemed to me that there was, and yet we lose sight of that. And sometimes it's so... Um, prevalent in our consciousness that it's like, why doesn't everybody see this? So my question was, is there an interconnectedness to all life? And I went down to Hilton Head, which was my family home. I went to see my mother because it was Christmas. Turned out to be a really hot Christmas. And I went to the beach and the water is still cold in December, but you know, it was hot outside. So I decided to swim. Lots of people on the beach picking up seashells and things, but um, I wanted to swim. So I went in the water. It's very cold. Um, there was a riptide. I got pulled out. I'm a strong swimmer. I wasn't worried about it, but I realized I'd gotten out way past where I should be. And I looked around for where are the shrimp boats? Because on Hilton Head, there was always shrimp boats. And and um, I was going to orient myself with the shrimp boats. And I realized there aren't any shrimp boats. I wonder where they are. And I thought, oh, it's Christmas Day. But then I realized if I'm out where the shrimp boats go, then there's sharks out here. That's why you never go where the shrimp boats are. So I was, you know, concerned and I'm looking to see which is the best way for me to try and swim my way out of this riptide and um, looking to see if anybody on the shore is paying any attention to me. And I can't even see the shore properly from where I am without my glasses. And the next thing I know, I do see close up coming right at me, a shark. And my first thought was actually, oh my God, my mother's going to hate this. Daughter eaten on Christmas Day. I can see the headline now. And um, I wanted to fight the shark. I I am feisty enough. I figured maybe, oh, what do you do? Poke it in the eye. What do you do? And I get this inner message that said to lie down long and lean and um, face down in the ocean. And I thought, well, it'll just eat me like a French fry, if I do that, I mean, that doesn't make sense, but lie so down. Tell us about that voice or that feeling or whatever. Tell us about that, because that's very important. To me, it was um, an inner voice of a man. And so I considered it an inner guy. That's what I felt like. And an inner voice of a man that it seemed like it came from outside of you. Yes, absolutely. It came from outside of me. It did not seem to be my higher self, if that's what you know, you're thinking. It seemed to be completely outside of myself, and I'm arguing with it. You know, like I don't want to get eaten. If I lie down long and lean, that'll just make me more available. And and but I don't have time to argue because the voice is repeated again. Well, I partly lie down. I, I partly ask you this, Anne, because uh, I just published a, a post in my Psychology Today blog titled On Hearing Voices. 
And one must be careful with that concept. (laughs) (laughs) One must be careful. I mean, I'm a psychiatrist. I can be careful about it. But the idea was that you're not always crazy when you hear voices. It doesn't always mean that you're crazy. And that's what I was trying to be able to get across to anybody who wanted to hear about it. And it turned out to be one of the most popular posts that I have gotten out there. Wow. Uh, There's a lot of people interested in hearing about you and Archer talking about hearing a voice external to you. So that's why I'm pausing you, because I was surprised to hear how much interest there is. It it is a fascinating concept. Um, To me, it's what constitutes um, inner guidance, where we have available to us the voice of angels and masters and guides, and it may come as intuition. So for some people, they may simply feel, and I have felt this at times, an intuitive sense of something. Sometimes, however, it's a clear voice. And from the time that I was a little girl, I have heard very clear external voices. Now, my mother had said to me at one point when my father died, when I was just seven years old, um, I started crying early in the morning and my mother came running in and said, what is it? And she said, is it Robert, my father's name? And I said, yes. And I said, he's about to die. And she said, how do you know? And I said, a voice told me. Well, the message was very clear, Bernie. It was not like some vague intuition. It was, your father is about to die. His death will bring manifold blessings into your life. It will be many years before you understand this, but it is very important. And eventually you will understand and you will realize that this is a blessing. And I'm crying because I'm saying, this is not a blessing. I want my daddy. I don't want the blessing. Keep the blessing. And so I'm arguing with the voice. So that's a very early memory of the voice. And a child doesn't know what the word manifold means. I mean, this is not coming out of my own head. This is a distinct exterior voice to me. But back to the dolphins, right? Lie down long and lean, right? That's I'm getting them. And I'm used to listening to the voice. Now remember that sometimes I argue, but I'm used to listening to the voice. So it says lie down long and lean. And I do that. And the next thing I know, because I'm not looking at the shark, I turn away because I'm instructed to turn away from the shark. So I'm not looking. And the next thing I know, I'm hit from underneath and I expect to be pulled down. I expect to go under and be eaten. And I'm hit really hard. It knocks the breath right out of me. And But instead of going down, I find myself being lifted up and I realized I've made myself into, by lying long and lean, I've made myself into a platform and I am up in the air on top of something. And I don't know what it is, but I am moving toward the shore in my, I'm from South Carolina. So in my Southern way, I would say I was moving lickety split toward the beach and um, amazed that I was moving toward the beach. It's like being on a flying carpet. But in, in the story, I remember your telling Mm-hmm. You ask God to help you, to lift you above the water. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, uh, now that's before the voice, because the minute I saw the shark and thought, oh, my God, my mother's going to hate this daughter eaten on Christmas Day. I asked God, lift me up, just lift me up, because there's nothing to be seen all around. There's no, but there are no boats, nothing that's going to come and rescue. I want the hand of God to lift me up. That's what I'd ask for. And, uh, deus ex machina is, I think, how they say it in the theater, you know, where like you're in the middle of some tragedy and the hand of God just comes and plucks you right out of it. Yes, that's what yes. I wanted. That's, that's, it, that's exactly it, that's what it. I wanted. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. And then you hear the voice yeah. that, that's, that's and, that you argue with to flatten out. And uh, now I'm hearing more how the flattening out uh, was made it a platform for the dolphins to lift you. Yeah. So at first, I don't know that it's dolphins, but uh, just as I'm wondering what on earth is happening, my heart is pounding like crazy because first the riptide, then the shark. Now I'm flying through the air, but I see in front of me a dolphin rise up and then I'm falling off the dolphin that I'm on and another comes right underneath me and picks me up. And I thought, oh, that's why. That's why I'm lying down flat. I'm not holding onto a dorsal fin, but they know exactly how to keep positioning themselves underneath me to, to take me in exactly um, flat straight like that into the, instead of having to surround me and try and fight off the shark, they're taking me away. So they take me to water about chest deep and then they surround me and they do this beautiful thing all around in a beautiful circle. And then I'm really shocked that they don't just leave. You know, I'm safe, right? They delivered me. I'm saying, thank you, thank you. Oh my God, this is wonderful. But they don't leave. Instead, they take turns touching my body. Like one of them touches my arms and one of them touches my legs and one of them brushes across my back and one of them across my shoulders. And, and I realize, and I say to them, oh my God, you are changing me because I felt like I was in some molecular laboratory, that I was being changed vibrationally. I was being quickened. Everything was changing in that moment. I don't know why, but it to me was almost as if they've been assigned to do this and they're doing this to me. And when they finish all that touching, they go back to e -E 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 surrounding me. And then they do this beautiful choreographed dance around me. And finally, they leave in twos like this. They back away on their tail fins making their sounds and I'm waving and crying and thanking them. And then they leave. And just as they leave, some woman steps forward and says, Oh my God, do you work with the dolphin? She's been watching. Now there's a big group that's gathered on the beach. And I said, no, no, I don't. And I'm waving goodbye to them and beginning to walk out of the water. I'm shaking all over. And um, some old man steps forward and he said, he said, oh, I said to her, they rescued me from the um from the riptide there's a riptide out there i don't want to talk about the shark and an old man steps forward and he says those dolphins saved your life there was a shark coming right at you and i said yeah but i don't want to remember that part and he said i saw it he's got his old binoculars around his neck and and she you know the woman said what were they doing and i said i have no idea now what i wanted was instead of talking to these people and you know really explaining it and talking about the mystery of it and everything 
for some reason, I wanted to go home and hide under the covers in my bed. I needed to go and and just disappear privately, quietly, because in my world, I knew I'm in the middle of a transformation. Everything has changed in my life. And it did, Bernie. Everything changed. So it, it's not a one-off. Things are happening consciously and unconsciously all the time, all around us. And we are evolving beings. And I and I knew then, did I have the answer to my question? Is this the interconnectedness of all life or what? I asked the hand of God to lift me up. The dolphins come. They do this thing as if they've been sent. It's it's just amazing. And what was happening in my classroom at the time was also amazing. And you mentioned the fact that I was studying comparative world religions in my master's degree program in order to understand the things that were happening in my life. So this was one of many things that I was experiencing at the time. And to me, it was one synchronicity after the next, after the next, after the next, and always guidance. I knew I was being led somewhere. I had no idea what this would all turn out to be, but it, to me, it was a part of this magical, wonderful thing that's happening in life. My mother wrote me two weeks after I left the island. She wrote me and said, I think... Um, the dolphins came back looking for you. And and I called her up and I said, what do you mean? And she said, you see that picture I sent you? It's a dolphins playing with some children. And, and I said, yeah. And she said, that was exactly where you were that day. Cause she knew whose house I'd gone to and where I'd parked my car to go to the beach. She said, that's exactly where you were. Those dolphins came back, but instead of you, they played with some children that day. And so I, I later learned those dolphins actually live around Hilton Head. They don't migrate like other dolphins. So whenever I go back to the island, I feel like I'm visiting the ancestors of my rescue angel dolphins and it's really special for me they're they're locals those dolphins yeah they're locals <laughs> they're locals <laughs> and their kids too probably it would yep. seem now, there's a couple of elements to what you're describing um that i think are so valuable the voice we talk some about and we may come back to that because i think it's so important for other people to know that there are voices potentially that are helpful to us, not always crazy. But let's go let's go to the transformational aspect of what those dolphins were doing with you, that touching of you in various parts of you. I went through a transformation of a different sort, but my body went through a whole bunch of conformations, contortions. My blood pressure was wacky for a while and all kinds of things were happening. And I thought it was something like um, one of those uh, superheroes being transformed by some radiation hitting him or her and becoming a superhero. So I kept looking up superhero uh, transformations. It, it wasn't <laughs> happening the same way mine did, but I thought something was changing there. And I, I couldn't really tell you the before and after about what had changed because it's kind of been kind of a slow transformation. So what was the transformation the dolphins initiated with you? Well, let me tell you what was already happening in my classroom. 
Um, I'm, I was teaching high school English and literature. And so that meant I was also teaching a lot of philosophy. And I, I graduated early with my bachelor's degree. So I started teaching when I was only 21 years old. And my high school students are 17 and 18. So look how close we are in age. You know, I'm just barely older than they are. And they are asking me, what do you believe is true? Because we're talking philosophy and they want to they find their philosophy of life. And I, I came from the South. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church and I, I'm having all kinds of mystical and spiritual experiences. And I'm studying comparative world religions to try and understand. But what happened in the classroom was I began to pray based on my Christian background. I, I prayed, dear God, teach me what to teach them. Teach me to teach truth. I want to know truth. But instead of just praying that, you know, like at night before bed, as some people do, I had seven classes a day that I taught. So every hour on the hour before the next class came in, I would pray, dear God, teach me truth so that I may teach them truth. Dear God, teach me truth so that I may teach them truth. So what happened next, almost, I mean, in such rapid fire fashion, I couldn't believe it was that one day I put my hand on the chalkboard. We had old fashioned chalkboards back then with white chalk on a blackboard. I, and I'm about to write a quote by Henry David Thoreau. I'm about to write, I went to the woods because I wish to live deliberately. Well, I know the quote so well that I could write it without looking. So I'm keeping my eye on the students behind me and kind of talking to them over my shoulder while I'm writing on the board. And they think I'm very talented because I can do this, talk about something else and write at the same time. But the, their job is to write whatever quote I put on the board, and then they're going to write an essay about it. So they know they have to write the quote. So they all start writing the quote. And I look back to see where I am with my quote, and I am not writing that quote at all. That's and, what I, I was guessing that one. Okay, I was guessing that one. And I don't know what I'm writing. My hand seems to know, but intellectually, I do not know. And when it comes time to finish the quote, and I should now be writing the person's name, I, I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who spoke it. I don't know what it is. It's got quote marks around it. So the students are raising their hands and saying, who wrote it? You forgot to attribute it to anyone. And, and I said, I'm not going to tell you who wrote it. Just write about it. So the next class comes in, Bernie, and the same thing happens, only it's a new quote. And it's almost as if I can feel my hand magnetically being pulled to the board. My hand wants to write. And I am like, oh, gosh, this is the spookiest thing that has ever happened to me. And I put my hand on the board and voila, it starts writing like crazy. Third class, fourth class, it goes on. It goes on the next day, the next day, the next day. My classroom becomes like close encounters of the third kind. I went and got butcher block paper and I'm writing the quote on these on this brown paper and hanging it like flags, you know, so trying to because we have to erase all these boards at night. Right. And I don't want to lose the quotes. So I'm trying to piece it together. Like, what's the universe trying to say here? But it appeared what was happening was the universe was speaking to each class's consciousness separately. But I don't know that yet. I have no idea what's happening. But I began to offer my students 
extra credit if they would grow go in groups of three or more to any kind of spiritual um, thing so that they could figure out what was happening because a group of them really smart, they came to me and they said, we know what's happening in your classroom. And I said, what do you mean? I'm in denial. I don't want to talk about it. And they said, um, you're getting that from somewhere, those quotes. And I said, what do you mean getting it? It's like, you're downloading it. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. And they said, well, let us tell you what's happening to us. And I said, what's happening to you? And they said, we are being quickened. And I said, what does that mean? And they said, when we leave your classroom and let's say we go to math and we haven't studied math the night before properly, but we sit down to take the test and suddenly we know everything. And I'm like, that's happening to all of you? And they said, yes. And we've decided the name for it is quickening. And I'm like, well, that's strange. And where do you think I'm getting this? And they said, some inner world library. We don't know. But we didn't have computers back then. So I sent those quotes away to a computer librarian at Indiana University and said, can you find these quotes for me? She and we don't I didn't even phone call her. People barely used the phone back then because it was long distance. So she wrote back a letter and she said, yes, I found your quotes. And they came back and it's lost epistles of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. But I am teaching American literature. That is my field of specialty. And so I don't know long quotes from the lost epistles of Plato by heart. Obviously, I'm getting this from somewhere. But it doesn't just go on for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, goes on all year goes on the next year. Kids are coming in my class like in droves. They're begging to be in my English class. I get called in by the school board and they said, you know, you're going to have to stick with the curriculum. Whatever's happening in your class, it's not appropriate. You need to just stick with the curriculum. And, and I said, I can't. I can't. If you understood what was happening in my classroom, you wouldn't ask that of me. But at the end of that year, I knew they were going to fire me if I didn't change my ways. And I, I simply couldn't. But then the school board president's son became national merit scholar in science and math. And when asked how he went from being a C student to an A student, he said, it was my English teacher. Now, he didn't say he was quickened, thank goodness. But from that point on, I could do no wrong with the school. They said, do whatever you want to do. In fact, you know, first crack at federal grants, you know, you can have whatever you want. Just keep doing whatever you're doing. And so that's what was happening in my classroom during the time of the dolphin encounter. But when I came back is when they recognized that they were being quickened. When I came back, everything went into high gear and everybody knew it. All the students knew what was going on. They knew there was something um, very special that was happening. And it began to happen to me too. I, 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 I missed something here. Yeah, sure. Uh, the place of the dolphins in the story. It's like you were, you were downloading these quotes and people didn't use the term downloading back then. So that you, you've edited it somehow with modern ver modern words, because it wasn't there that they didn't have computers to download stuff from, but somehow they, explain to you that you were getting it from someplace where they where where was the dolphin story in the in the middle of all this right in the middle 
right in the middle. That's why I was asking the question about the interconnectedness of all life. I hadn't been confronted by the school board yet. The kids weren't being quickened like they were. They just knew that those quotes were coming from an inner world library. Okay. And then the dolphin experience happened and then things accelerated with yes. you. All right. Yes. So you, this was a beautifully long way of uh, answering my question about how do you, how did, how did it affect you uh, to be transformed by what the dolphins did? And you popped up uh, a level of consciousness to be able to understand more clearly what you were doing, partly because you heard a voice again, you've heard them before, but this was pretty dramatic to save your life. And the dolphins did something to you that changed, I like to think your DNA a bit or something about your electromagnetic <laughs> currents around you or something is there something transformative that's mind and brain that uh, our body too that took place there and then you could understand and the students along with you could understand that this was quickening this was an experience you were sharing with them your mind and their minds were much more connected to some other mind that was influencing them through you yeah that's exactly what was happening. And it didn't stop there. I mean, miracle after miracle after miracle was occurring. I call them miracles. Inner guidance was so powerful and strong that I couldn't even turn it off. It wasn't like suddenly I heard a voice. It was constantly I hear a voice. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yes, yes. That was something to have you manage to have a voice running around in your head. You may think you're crazy if you were somebody else. So how did you how did you filter out uh, the con relatively continuous flow of information and ideas and suggestions from uh, outside of you? Well, it Sometimes it was really hard. And you know, that feeling that I had after the dolphins where I wanted to go hide under the covers, yeah. I literally did. I went home and pulled the covers over my head. As, my as well, said, you should have. As my well mother you... said, what are you doing? And I explained to her from under the covers what had just happened to me. I'm collecting I... myself, mom. It's all over. The, I'm all over the place. I don't know where, what's, who am I? What am I? I got to find it again. Okay. So I had that feeling all the time after that, that I needed to just, um, you know, protect myself a little bit from all that was happening. And, and yet it didn't stop it. I mean, it continued and continued and continued. Protect yourself from both what's happening outside of you and what was happening through you. Through yeah, the voice, which yeah. began to lose the distinction between voice and outside and inside that you begin to lose that. And when you do that, when you have a voice inside of you and things are happening outside of you, you do begin to lose some sense of your own identity. And we like to cling to our sense of self. We like to know that I'm Anne and there's yeah. something consistent about that. And so you had to fight all of these waves of information and feeling to be able to hold on to you. How'd you do that? For me, it was just a matter of trying to integrate. Just give me a minute to integrate. That's what I was asking inwardly. Just give me a minute to integrate. And what I was learning, you know, when I went down to Hilton Head, when the dolphins rescued me, what I what I had been asking was about the interconnectedness of all life. I didn't even understand that question 
as much as I later would understand that question. But what happened was I came to believe and understand that the voices, you know, it's really the voice of God working through various, you know, ways. And that it was good. It was always good. It was always leading me to my highest and greatest. I've spoken all over the world and most of the continents on the planet um, traveled for years. My husband and I have spoken everywhere. And one of the things I was asked over and over again is how can you distinguish between the voice that's good and a voice that's telling you to do something that you shouldn't do? And you know, I didn't want to lie down long and lean. I thought I would be eaten like in a second by that shark if I stretched myself out long and skinny flat down and didn't fight. I wanted to fight. If I fought, of course I was going to lose, but what do I know? I mean, it was a natural instinct. So the voice was telling me to do something that didn't feel like what I wanted to do, but it felt like it's really my only option. It's really important. And so I did it. So you can't always say the voice is telling you to do something you want to do anyway. It wasn't. It wasn't. And it often wasn't. And yet um, the results were magnificent. At one point I was told that, um, I, oh, I had an out-of-body experience that turned into a near-death experience, but it was someone else's near-death so I had a shared near-death experience where I, I got pulled through the tunnel and into the light. And, and I was told that someone close to me appeared to be dying. And then I was told about the nature of life and death itself, and that I must follow all instructions as, as they are given in order to help save this person's life. Then I'm dumped back into the physical world against my wishes. And the next thing I know, it's my sister. And I go to her side and I'm able to save her life, but only because I'm listening very carefully. So I believe that it's a skill that we should actually, you know, not only welcome, but learn to cultivate and um, fine tune this listening inwardly, because I believe that we're being guided and guarded and protected more carefully and beautifully than most of us could ever imagine all the time if we learn to listen. When my when my father died and I listened, my mother came to me and she said, you know that voice you heard that told you that your father was about to die? And I said, yes. And she said, I used to have that, Anne. And I said, you did? And she said, yes. And you don't ever want to lose it. You must practice listening. And I said, do you still have it? And she said, no, I've pretty much lost it. She said, the world teaches you to lose it. And she said, you have to work hard to keep in touch with that voice, but you should. You should listen to that voice always. So my father had just died, but she had the wherewithal to come and teach me about listening to the inner voice, to the inner guidance that we receive. And so that was one of the reasons that I have so though I kick and scream and fight about it at times, but I have so carefully respected it and tried to hone in and learn how to um, uh, refine my ability to listen. Well, I, I very much appreciate your telling us, and because uh, I've been noticing my way of doing it 
is yes i i heard a voice talking to me and i argued with the voice and tooth it's fun to argue with <laughs> the voice and the voice said go left instead of and i go right instead of going right and i found uh, a musician i wanted to hear that i'd never seen before and wanted to hear and then ran into people who volunteered to do a party for my book that's coming out pretty soon and two two things that I, I wanted to be able to have but i when the voice said go left i said why and and the voice said you'll see and that's a, that's a you know that's the kind of thing you understand so i saw uh there are other ways i am more um in the kinesthetic way of doing things by that i mean i find myself doing things <laughs> Kind of like you're writing on the board, but uh, because I, I I was a, a good athlete, I I got into tuning in with my body to what was going on right now and where to go this way or go that way, and so I've learned that. So I learned to to just do stuff, and then I go, man, that's really worked out pretty well. How did, how did, the timing of that is really amazing, and I just get a kick out of that. And it's a, it's a, it seems like there's some guidance going on around there or I'm picking up what's around me uh, and I'm seeing how the flow goes, which is another way I think about it. But this that you are so clearly directed by a voice is like uh, I'm in first grade. You're like uh, in college with this kind of difference. And I so appreciate uh, what you're saying. And I hope the people listening to us today and listening to you in particular will be able to be more accepting of hearing their voice hearing a voice for them and i get all kinds of answers about why people what people think it's coming from and you're you know you know in your heart and your mind it's coming from god i don't know what god means anymore i i think it we have all kinds of ideas about that but what do you mean by God when you say God is speaking to you through these ways? Well, it's interesting because I was going to say, I know a lot of people like to have more scientific explanations, and I'm fine with that. I'm I'm not one to proselytize. I believe people should follow their own heart, and then it will lead them to truth. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, but for me, um, I I have a profound strong belief in God. And that experience that I was hinting about where I was taken into through the tunnel of death and into a bright light, it was announced, this is the ocean of mercy and love. And, and I, and I was so excited. <laughs> Little dog is helping me out here. Um, I was so excited to be there and the beauty and uh, it was un it was not describable. It was indescribable. And it was just unparalleled with any ecstasy that I'd ever experienced, any joy that I'd ever had. And I immediately knew I never want to go back. I finally arrived. Thank God in heaven I have arrived because I knew I was standing in the presence of love. Now to me, that profound majesty of love is what God is. And yet, yet for me, it was also very interesting because the voice clearly said, I never spoke. I don't ever want to return. This is this is it. This is what I've always wanted. The great relief of being here is just beyond anything ever. I don't want to go back. And the voice said, you must go back. So it's responding to my inner awareness. 
And, and I said, I don't want to. There is something very important that you must do. And I said, find somebody else to do it. I don't want to go back. And the voice said, you must return and you will. But in the meantime, there are 10 things that you must remember. And then it gives me the 10 things that I must remember. And one of those is that there is no death. There is only the illusion of death. And that for my sister, who I would later discover was having her death experience, um, it was said, this is only the illusion of the illusion of death, but you must intervene. And, and when I did that, when I went to New York and found my sister in the hospital and, you know, she'd been in a coma, they have no idea what's wrong with her. And I was told to put my hand on the left side of my sister's head. So I go and I want to touch my sister's head, but two nurses come running in and said, no, 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 you can't get near her. And they try and stop me. And Bernie, who's like, put your hand in front of you. And I put my hand in front of me and the two nurses go flying against the wall. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm so sorry, but I must see my sister. And so they're kind of picking themselves up off the floor. My mother is there. And my mother says, I would do what she says if I were you. And, and I said, could you please go get a doctor? I need to see a doctor immediately. And I put my hand on my sister's head and I could see inside her brain. I, it's like having x-ray vision. And I saw that there was what looked to me like a busted balloon in there, very precise. And when he got there, I said, if I told you there was a busted balloon in my sister's head, could you save her? And he said, I'll draw a picture of a brain for you. And he does. And he said, can you pinpoint where it is? And I said, yes, it's right there. He said, if it is, and, and I operate, then I, I can probably save her life. And if not, she's going to die anyway. Will you give us permission to do surgery? And I said, yes, it's just before CAT scans were developed. So they have no way to see what's really going on. That ended that that was just an amazing, amazing experience because they were able to save my sister's life. But such precision in our guidance, you know, put your right hand in front of you, touch your sister's head, do this, do that, tell them this, tell them that. And at some point, I actually wondered, like, when will I have a chance to think a thought on my own again, for goodness sake? And, and yet, do you want to save your sister's life? You absolutely do. So the guidance to me um, has been, it's intense. Mine is really intense. I said to in the story that um, you introduced that I'm about to get to the publisher, Five Blue Rings, um, I, I've presented that all over Hollywood. And I had told the dolphin story. Someone heard me and I got invited to Hollywood. But then someone who knew me said, oh, you think the dolphin story is good. You should ask her about Five Blue Rings. So I went to Hollywood presenting Five Blue Rings. And one of the producers, an old man named Milt Goldstein, he was just, he was sweet. He was incredible. Um, he's listening to my story. And he said, what are you doing in your life? And I said, uh, you know, I'm just trying to be normal really hard trying to be normal. And he said, for God's sake, don't do that. Leave normal to the rest of us. You're not normal. <laughs> and yet, Bernie, that is what I have been trying to do my whole life is just 
calm it down so that I could lead some semblance of a normal life and believe that I'm sane and rational and reasonable and have a normal career and be a normal person. But none of us are normal. Milt was wrong. There's no normal people. We are all spiritual beings, whether we know it or not. From my perspective, we are high vibratory beings inhabiting a body with a mind that we're using and, you know, doing the best that we can to evolve in this process and learning lessons along the way, learning to love more deeply, learning compassion, which of course is love, learning forgiveness, which is also love, um, learning detachment, which means that we are neither for nor against and that we can see the big overview and, you know, we all struggle with that. Right now in the world, everybody is struggling with what's going on in the overview. People are taking sides. And my point of view is there are no sides. There's an interconnectedness of all life. We're all connected. And love, to me, is the answer. That's a long way around answering what is God. But, you that's know. A, that's a wonderful answer. And uh, there's two directions we can go in uh, as we have about 20 minutes or 15 minutes or so left. Um uh, we could do the blue rings, uh, and I'm also very interested in what your ideas are about humanity uh, committing suicide these days. You know, um, that is an interesting question because one of the, I told you that I work with authors and I help them with their marketing and I edit books and. And one of the authors that I'm working with is um, talking about meeting with her heavenly family uh, through a writing process that she does. And um, she and her husband have a website, um, livingourlove.com, and they're writing a book. And she's very concerned with the fact that people are more and more discovering that this inner world, this heavenly world is magnificent. So why not just go there now? right? Why not just leave? And, and the answer is because there aren't any shortcuts. It's like, you know, I can be high as a kite because I contemplate a form of, uh, you know, inner spiritual work that is sort of like meditation, but maybe on a higher level. Um, but if I tried to get that same kind of high as a kite sensation by drinking myself under the table, that's a shortcut and it doesn't work. Yes, for a moment, I may feel high as a kite and I may feel happy, but I'm not going to be able to sustain it because I didn't earn it vibrationally. And so if you have not completed what you're here to do, there is no death. There is no there is no separation. So if you haven't done what you need to do, you're just going to pick up and have to do it on the other side. You, well, you're well, going to. Well, let's. On the other side, can mean coming back here to do it. Yes. Uh, and, yes. And what I'm trying to be able to learn from you is uh, that I have this idea of a collective human organism that we are all mm -hmm. a cell in a large thing that is the collective human organism. And part of what we're here to do is to find our purpose in life, to find out what we're here to do, what's our specialty really. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, see how we're connected to all the other cells in the collective human organism as a way to organize ourselves 
so that we can prevent ourselves from the suicidal destruction of the planet and each other that we are currently involved with. Now, is, is that, how do you think about that? Well, I believe that this planet is a world of duality. So, you know, the people that believe that it can become bliss, it's always going to have good, bad, light, dark, hot, cold. It That's is right. a world of duality. It, this, is, this is polarity here. Yes, it is. Right. There is a polarity. And if you mean um, not taking care of ourselves and not taking care of our planet... That's an evolution in consciousness that comes with an evolution in consciousness. And if you go about it the wrong way, it's as destructive as not going about it at all. So I have lots and lots and lots of views on this subject, but I would rather say what I believe that we're here to do. There's only two things that I believe that we're here to do. And one is to learn to understand and follow the universal laws of life. And one of those, the most um, significant law of all, the umbrella law, I believe is the law of love. And so whatever we do with love um, can have great benefit, even if we do the right thing, but we do it with hate and vengeance, it doesn't necessarily end up being the right thing. Um, so that's one thing, follow the universal laws. And two, the other thing I believe we're here to do is to learn to listen, to learn to hear the inner guidance, to recognize that we're not alone. And that interconnectedness is a part of what we're here to discover. Because look, we have the illusion of being all alone, right? People feel all separated. Gosh, during COVID, look how many people felt all separated and isolated. And yet we are never alone. We are surrounded by, in my personal opinion, we are surrounded by guides and angels and these voices of guidance and love and protection that would amaze us if we would just open ourselves to it. And if people scoff, my point of view is try it. Open your heart and mind. You know, if you're not open, if your heart and mind are not open, um, then you're not going to experience the truth of what you and I are talking about, Bernie. But if your heart and mind are open, then these little seeds will be planted of awareness. And, and really, what everything does is changes the vibration. And when your vibration changes enough, you evolve. You evolve naturally. You evolve to caring more. You you evolve to taking care of yourself. You say you're an athlete, right? And I, I was never an athlete. And yet I do everything I can to take care of myself now, not because I want to stay in the body, but because this is what I'm given and I must respect what I'm given. Yeah, and you've, take it's, care you've, of it. you've been, you've been given it. You better take care of it. It's a good yeah. idea. And why yeah. not? Uh, I'm what I'm asking about is not only about the spiritual connections that you are describing, which yeah. uh, you're opening up my eyes about that even further. I've had a little bit of that. Now I'm hearing more. I'm, I'm a very um, earthbound guy too. And the Coincidence Project is intended to help to use coincidences to illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unite us people with each other, with plants, 
with trees, with, uh, with rivers, uh, with rocks, with all that's around us. It's all conscious beings that we can connect with. And I use coincidences as a way of demonstrating to people who are still trying to figure it out what their connections are and how we're connected to various people like you with your sister and sharing a near-death experience with her just shows how closely connected you are with her. Knowing that your father was going to die is showing a interconnectedness between you and him. And those are the stories that I am using to build as a foundation to demonstrate our interconnectedness with each other as well as other sentient beings. What do you think mm -hmm. about that? Well, I, first of all, I'm very excited about your new book. Thank you. I think it's I think that it's going to be invaluable to people. And I love sort of the combination of the mystical that it appears to me that you're taking in there and the scientific. I love that connection. That's nice. I, I don't have that. I don't have that connection. I do in certain areas, like I'm really into energy medicine. Um, and I see it from a scientific point of view. But um, but in terms of what you're talking about, I appreciate that combination um, because it it makes it so much more available to people overall. I think that's great. Um, I also agree with you. And I believe that more and more people are becoming aware of these synchronicities and these coincidences and these interconnectedness elements that are occurring in their lives. Um, because uh, the volume is being turned up. Yes, it certainly is. The and heat, we're we're frogs in the water that's being gradually heated. Yes, we are. Yeah, and the volume is being turned up so that we can hear and see it more. And I believe that. Um, and let's say if the light were being turned up and the veil that separates us from the other side, we can begin to see through it because the light is being turned up and because the volume is being turned up, we can hear the voices more clearly. And, you know, one of the things that oh, Spiritual Awakenings International is doing is trying to protect people from thinking that they're crazy when they're not, when they're actually having spiritual experiences. Because if you get too much into the allopathic way of thinking, um, you would think I was crazy. And I am certainly not crazy. I'm a fully functional human being. But the mystical experience that I have had, the overall amazing coincidences that I have had, they're ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. And so I think that it is very important to respect the fact that the volume is being turned up, the lights are being turned up, we can see more clearly on the other side, coincidences are happening at a much more rapid, yeah. Yeah. some of us individually, much more rapid pace, and collectively, the same thing is true. Wonderful, wonderful. Now we're gonna we're gonna have to be able to um, end our conversation in a bit. Um, but why don't you tell us a, a little bit about the five blue rings in the book that you're that's going to come out from that, so people have a little bit of an idea of what they might be reading if they uh, if they run into that book. Well, that book begins with me going on a on a ship on a adventure with this man that I was with who I believed was my husband. It turns out he's not, but um, but I believe he is. And I'm set up through the whole thing. I don't want to go on the ship. 
I want nothing to do with it. And yet um, somehow I end up being compelled to go on this ship. I'm told with the man that I'm with that if you go aboard this ship, when you leave, you'll no longer be together. And I try to explain to him, listen, my dreams, my prophecies, they're real. There's no like getting around them. Um, this is God speaking. So if it says that if we go aboard this ship, when we leave, we'll no longer be together. That's the truth. And he goes, oh, it's just a dream. And <laughs> so obviously he and I were not quite on the same page. Go aboard this ship. The next thing I know, the man who owns it is a Sufi and he can see who I am spiritually and he gets in trouble and he tries to take advantage of me without my knowing to make me steer the ship down to from Seattle all the way to Los Angeles. Now, let's now, be clear. This is a dream. No, this it's is not real. a dream. You know, the only dream part was that if you go aboard the ship, when you leave, you'll no longer. Oh, be oh okay. Okay. I, I, I the, got the lost. The ship in the... is real. He really <laughs> wants me to steer it, but he doesn't tell me. And the he guy doesn't... is your husband, but he isn't your husband. Yes. It, it, that you find that out at the end of the okay. story, but I personally didn't know it. I believe that he is my husband. And, I, but the entire time I'm kicking and screaming through this whole experience, I do learn how to steer that ship. I am a person burning. My husband doesn't let me cook because I break can openers and I, I'm just not oriented to the physical world of mechanics. And so to let me steer a ship, a 300 foot ship, as long as a football field, six decks high, shallow draft, it bobs in the water. That's stupid. And yet he saw who I was spiritually and he tricks me into being there and I, I just want everyone to understand how in God's name could I learn how to steer that ship? And it happened in a nanosecond. I stood there and said, I will, I will assume the law of assumption that I know how to steer the ship. That's the only thing I've got going for me. I know how to steer the ship. I, I my hands are on the wheel and I can't go back. There's reasons that I can't go back. So I've got to learn to steer this ship. I know how to steer the ship. I know how to steer the ship. I understand the currents in the ocean. I know how, how the ship works. I know everything I need to know. And suddenly the room filled with this crazy blue light mist. And it was a cooling mist. It felt fabulous. But with it came an absolute knowledge as if I were an old sailor and I know everything. And I know everything. It's like learning how to drive a Ferrari instantly and being able to do it with high turns and fast speeds. I couldn't believe what I learned. There's an old sea captain there who is the map reader and he's swearing at me because I don't know how to steer the ship. And suddenly I said, Hey, it's okay. I know how to do it now. And he goes, if you know how to steer this blankety blank ship, it'll be the first blankety blank miracle I've ever seen in my blankety blank life. And I said, how long will it take? How can I prove to you I know how to steer the ship? He said, in 20 minutes, we'll go look at your wake. If it's a straight line, you know how to steer the ship. If it remains this erratic S curve, you know, we're all in trouble. We're going to run out of fuel. And it was a straight line. There's a straight line from there all the way down. But, you know, we run into all sorts of terrible experiences, like the worst storm off the coast of Oregon in decade and I have to steer through it and the Coast Guard who want to arrest me because I don't have a license and I'm steering this ship and, you know, all manner of things occur. And every step of the way, inner guidance 
carries me through it. I hear the voice. I know what to do. I use the spiritual laws. I use the universal laws of life. And I learn everything I need to know. Those same laws carry us through life, no matter what it is that's happening to us, so that we can see the way to the solutions, to the miracles, to the magic that life really has to offer us. And in the end, the five blue rings are really about five rings that are floating above the planet in some mystical way that's supposed to be a prophecy that's on the planet. I learn about it in the middle of this story and I discover that I'm not married to the man that I'm with because we did have a wedding, but we filed the papers wrong. We had flown up to Canada to be with friends, filed the papers wrong. In the end, I'm with my husband who you've met, Bernie. And um, in the end, I've met him through this process. And, um, and it turns out there's no need for a divorce because the man that I'm with says, you know, we're not married. And he, for the first time in his life, had heard a voice. When I met um, Alden, who is my husband, the voice had said to him, this is an uncommon rapport. Let no man put asunder. And he finally understood what it meant to hear voices. And he knew that it was a prophetic, ancient voice that was speaking to him. And it meant that Alden and I were to be together. It took a year for that to evolve. That story is Five Blue Rings. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to be able to comment on. For but for me, it's the voices that, as the coincidence, that here I am talking with you about learning to listen to voices, and which you have have had to do because you have so many of them. And here I am writing about it, and thirty thousand people have uh, read the post on that subject because other people are wondering as well. And here you are adding, at least to my understanding and other people who are watching this that and listening to this, that we do hear voices and you can be not only normal to hear them, you can be extraordinary, which you are. And yes, we're all extraordinary potentially. You are realizing the potential of your extraordinariness and it's it's been a it's been a pleasure to be able to to hear you and to feel you and to experience you uh, as you describe these things. So thank you very much for a great experience being with you. Thank you, Dr. Bernie. I've been looking forward to it, and I hope we get to reconnect time and time again. Thank you. I think that I think that's going to happen. I really do think that's going to happen. Uh, and so we'll see about when that is, uh, but it will. So. Thank you. For now, for our program today, it's au revoir. Until the next time. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.